Welcome back to Ravens Recap. We have a really cool show today. Football is back uh, starting this week that we're recording. There will be a football game until the Super Bowl, which is super exciting. And for this episode, we have a really special guest. Jason from Huddle It Up Films is joining us. How are you doing, Jason? I'm doing really well. I'm excited. Very excited for it. Uh, Like you said, football season's here and we have some players to talk about and that's right in my wheelhouse of what I could do all day. So thank you guys for having me on. I appreciate that. Yeah, for sure. And uh, we're going to be talking about the traits to be looking out for during the preseason games. There's a lot of positional battles going on. A lot of players we want to know more about, Uh, particularly, you know, last year we didn't have the preseason. So even rookies from last year, we don't know too much about them because they didn't get much time in the limelight. So we're looking forward to having this conversation and uh, breaking it down. Well, before we get into it, um, I just want to acknowledge here. So, Jason, I don't want to put you on the spot, but I just want to uh, let everybody know who you know maybe hasn't heard of your work. But um, for anybody who hasn't, uh, Jason's uh, Huddle It Up Films, uh, it's on YouTube. It's a great follow, um, a lot of film study breakdowns, and I think recently been interviewing a lot of uh, you know fans and, and, and listeners and stuff like that um, to just kind of have like these little bite-sized you know, discussion pieces and things like that. Um, I think it's a great mix of content. So, you know, if uh, if you guys are interested in that, if you're on YouTube, if you like that content, I think it's a it's a great follow. Uh, love the work you've been doing, man. Thank you so much. I, I hope the coaches tape is something we can continue to do on YouTube. There's some questions about that, but my uh, outlook on it is the fans deserve to see it and judge for themselves. So you, when you can see all 22 guys moving, you can see why what you saw on TV happened. So it's educational. It's it's not really flashy highlights. I do do some uh, film breakdowns. I have had some guests on, which has been a lot of fun getting to know people. And maybe that's one of the reasons I'm here. So I always say football is family and I'm, I'm there to support anybody that supports the Ravens. Definitely an awesome follow. And you can really like, you know, the nice, there's a nice aspect of the video being able to see, you know, what you're talking about highlighting the players. So I think we should get started with uh, the wide receiver six. It doesn't seem like the Ravens will hold on to seven wide receivers. Um, and, I tell you, with uh, the drum beat going around Prochet, it almost feels like it might be over. Uh, this guy is playing really well. It looks like he put in a ton of work during the offseason, snacking balls. But of course, uh, Boykin will be there competing. And uh, Jaylon Moore, who a lot of people have liked from previous camps, all trying to make a name for themselves. So I was just thinking that would be a good place to start, particularly with um, the practice everyone got to see over the weekend that uh, kind of created some buzz around this topic. Awesome, man. Yeah, I mean, uh, I am known, at least to those who know me, as a Prochet defender, supporter, believer, leader of the bandwagon. I mean, this is a guy that <laughs> I rarely get this hype for a uh, guy that was sick, drafted in the sixth round. But uh, he slipped through the cracks, in my opinion, because of his size and measurables. And to me, there's more than traits. A trait is a easy uh, word that translates to people to understand. But I think that a lot of times they look as trait as a physical trait. And to me, the physical trait are the given are the givens that you have. You get those from the raw numbers. So when I look at the traits of a player, it's more like translatable skills where there's a more uh, succinct way to describe it. But what Prochet does is a little bit of everything at a high level, at an NFL level. And the only thing that works against him is the fact that he's 5'11 and runs into four fives. Yeah, I think for a lot of people that is the concern, right? So you have a guy like Boykin who just screams, particularly for Ravens fans who've been wanting that just big wide receiver that can take over a game. He just screams like he should be the guy. 
um, particularly, and also when you have a bunch of other small guys do with Duvernay and Hollywood, it's not like we're uh, lacking little speedsters. Um, and that's not exactly what Prochet is. He, this is a guy who's just, he finds a way to catch anything in the vicinity. It's wild. I saw some of the catches and I know they weren't hitting, so that it's, it's different. You don't want to get too excited, but it looks like uh, he put in a lot of work this offseason. He sure did. He's a hard worker in the first place. He had a reputation for that at SMU. And if you follow him, you just get a sense of how business-like he is. The thing that I like about Prochet is, and this is part of where the numbers can deceive you, if you look at the quickness drills, which are the three-cone and the shuttle drills, um, for anybody that doesn't know, the three-cone drill is uh, where you're pretty much running in an L-shape in a swervy fashion. And the shuttle drill is where you're doing what looks like a suicide if you ever did those in June class. Run up to the line, touch it, run back to the line, touch it, that kind of thing. Now, if you look at the, the way Prochet and Boykin scored on those, Boykin is much faster, almost a half second faster, I believe, on the shuttle than Prochet. So if you look at it from just a raw number standpoint, you say, oh, well, Boykin, not only is he faster than Prochet, he's quicker than Prochet too. And then look what you see on the field, guys. It's the exact opposite. So sometimes you have to really trust your eyes and see and notice that the sharp breaks that Prochet makes will translate to the NFL, where if it's Boykin, once his stride length is lengthened and he's at full speed, if you told all the receivers to stop while they're at full speed, Boykin's going to end up five yards past them all. So there are a lot of qualities that go into it. Ball tracking, uh, the timing in your route. You've noticed I put up a YouTube video today of where I thought the exact point Lamar Jackson lost confidence in Boykin. And basically, Lamar's trying to throw it to him. Boykin's not looking. Lamar's trying to throw it to him. Boykin's not looking. And that's something that you learn, like, even if you didn't play football and street ball. It's like, get open, look back at the quarterback, scream his name if you have to, put up your hand, <laughs> make that last little cut or move to let him know where to throw it. And that's something that uh, that Boykin really struggles with, and I haven't seen any progress. So uh, after about week three last year, I was on the Prochet bandwagon saying, look, I mean, we went to Des Bryant. Uh, late in the season. I would have loved to see him crochet, defy some odds and get some slot time, even though we have Willie Sneed firmly entrenched in that role. Yeah, I think you bring up a bunch of great points here in the argument between um, the Ravens giving Prochet a, a better look over Boykin coming up this season. And I mean, I love what you're saying here of, of you know, we're waiting for Boykin to, to step up and to uh, demand the ball and to just have his head better in the game. Um, it does feel like he hasn't really developed terribly much. I'm thinking back to, uh, you know, the three of us went to see the Ra- the first Ravens preseason oh, yeah. game of 2019 against Jacksonville, and the Ravens were just feeding the ball to Boykin, just kept peppering him with targets over and over again. And, you know, I remember Chris at the time said, you know, this guy's not getting much separation at all. And it still really hasn't changed. You look at a lot of Boykin's uh, catches last year, particularly his big plays, they were schemed routes where he was just wide open and it was pretty easy for Lamar to get the ball to him and for him to get a big gain. And yeah, I think if you look at James Prochet, you know, you brought up, you know, he was, he's five eleven, ran a four five forty. 40. Um, who's another guy who was, fits the same measurables who we've talked a lot about in, in recent podcasts. Uh, Derek Mason, you have five eleven, ran a four four five. Uh, 40. I'm looking at it right now on Wikipedia. That's a good one. That's a really good combine. comparison, actually. I, lo- I love that. Go ahead, Peter. That's all. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, and I love what you're saying about how, you know, 
you can look at these guys' measurables on as far as what they do at the combine, what they do at practice. But once the pads come on, it's a completely different story. And, um, you know, I have not looked at Prochet as closely as you have, but I am really excited to see some extended action from him this coming preseason. Um, and I agree. I agree with you that it's a great opportunity for him to show what he can do for this team. Um, and I think that there's is a lot of potential there. And uh, he probably does have an inside track over Boykin just from this, that he's made a measurable improvement um, over this off season, which we're still waiting to see more of from Boykin. And it's a shame about Boykin because there are, I, I, I want to mention what I think are positive NFL qualities for Boykin. And that is his catch radius. And despite the drops he's had, reported drops this uh this pre this offseason in training camp he has pretty good hands he's made some decent catches so i don't question his hands at all i think he's got good hands and i think that if he's matched up against a tight end or safety in the slot he can beat that guy or if he's running zone uh against zone defenses in the middle he can win those matchups when you put him outside against an nfl cornerback though he's just too easy to cover and uh, I've been saying it for a while. I, I was one of those things where you wish you were wrong. And then the other thing is, if you have a 50-50 ball, Prochet is five inches shorter, I guess, than Boykin. You want Prochet on that ball. If anybody's listening and they haven't seen just the highlights, you don't even have to do film study. Go on YouTube, type in James Prochet highlights, and then get on Twitter afterwards and, and thank me later because <laughs> you won't see greater circus catches, high-pointing the ball, ball-tracking, out muscling bigger players like Prochet is just not going to be one of these little slot receivers. He may not get that opportunity a lot in the NFL, but if it's a contested catch or a catch through contact, man, Prochet's got you there too. So it's, it's not just uh, the quickness that he has on his side. Yeah. The thing that really struck me when I was watching the uh, practice is like you said, if you watch the drills, you had no idea who was faster. You would think that Prochet was faster and that Boykin was like lumbering, right? Like, oh, he must get away because he's tall because he just does not look nearly as crisp in those cuts. And he doesn't have like quite that instant acceleration. It's the stride length thing, like you said. And uh, in the NFL, if you beat him like that and the ball gets there, I mean, that's that's 15 yards. Like, you, that's all you need. Like, you don't need um, that long runway speed because you just how long does that develop? Right. Like how often can you actually develop that? And if that's all you've got, if that's your one trick. It's not going to work out. Exactly. I, th I think this might be a good time to transition to Benjamin Victor, um, because I'm going to touch on some things that Boykin doesn't do that. I think uh, if we do, in fact, trade Boykin or IR him now that he's hurt, might be a might be a good idea. I heard of here first, but uh, <laughs> may maybe throw him on IR and give it a little time to marinate. See if we got a spot for him later. But Benjamin Victor out of Ohio State um, is a guy that I looked at a lot coming out of the draft who is 6'4", just like Boykin, but he plays like a lot of Ravens fans would expect Boykin to play. Um, his ability to high point the ball and the thing that sticks out, the skill trait, whatever you want to call it, is his body control. He's got the body control of, say, like a basketball player, the grace uh, that you see from some of the better uh, tight ends and smaller receivers. So if it's a throw at the back of the end zone, if you want that big possession receiver who can run a slant or say it's the end of the half and you know you need to use the sideline or red zone, Benjamin Victor, you're going to get those qualities out of him. He's a 4'6 guy, so you don't get the uh, the flashy speed, but I, I honestly don't think his play speed is that different than Boykin, a guy that will probably be able to – you'll be able to stash on the practice squad unless he blows up this preseason. 
Um, so Benjamin Victor, I would say if you're instead of cutting Prochet, you want a bigger body. Uh, Victor is the guy I would look at to uh, stash on this team somewhere. Interesting. We got him as a futures contract. I was actually not even aware of his. Uh, yeah. And his the thing is, Alec, like he played for the Giants last year. And I don't know, maybe you guys can help me remember this, but I remember a slew of injuries for them, like Sterling Shepard and uh, Darius Slayton's always hurt. I think Golden Tate missed time. Uh, so it was pretty puzzling. Evan Ingram, who's a big, big guy, I think missed time. He misses time every year. Mm -hmm. I might be wrong about one of those, but I guess overall they were pretty banged up as a wide receiver unit and they just let this guy go. So who knows? Maybe there's some red flags there, but that's a guy whose skill set I like as a situational fourth receiver. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Well, the, the only other point that maybe to kind of to, to go with that, um, Although we should probably move on to, to tight end three and, and pretty soon, but um, that was kind of the one thing I wanted to bring up was was that you know if, if we're talking just player to player for the wide six uh, wide receiver six position, I think you know Prochet. It seems like we're all in agreement here that he's kind of you know got a lot of the intangibles that you would want in terms of like a purely just you know matching up skills to skills kind of thing. But the one you know one thing I'm sure a lot of fans would, would would probably question you know to play devil's advocate is you know if this boy can bring anything to the table that Prochet doesn't and is that valuable right is there anybody sure. else that can reproduce what Boykin can do and it shows up on special teams and for your wide receiver six you better be able to contribute on special teams so um, as weird as this may sound Boykin's ability as a gunner uh, you know it, it can Sean Wade can Brandon Stevens. Uh, other guys who play special teams, to me, it's not the blocking receiver aspect. I think uh, Sammy and Rashad can get that done. But Boykin was your, your, your gunner, which is, is a very important position. So Boykin's chances to make the roster may actually depend on other. Can anybody up step up and fill his special team role? Yeah, that's a great point. We did see Chris Moore hang on to the roster for a pretty long while for that exact same reason. For sure. Yeah, I was about to bring that up. I was thinking about it on the, um, on the way home. And I, I did want to talk real quick before we leave uh, the wide receiver room about Tylen Wallace because everyone's already drooling about Bateman. I am too. I think he's. I think we, he's a real deal. I think we did it. I'm curious how Tylen Wallace can fit into this whole conversation because a lot of people really like this player as well, and it's starting to seem like we have a very crowded room that you know, a year ago wasn't like that. Sure, and I really like Wallace. I think the reason he was drafted was because he was the best player available. And uh, you guys probably said that on your show, too. There wasn't a true need. It was just this was a guy that was available in the fourth round that many expected to go in the second round. Um, so at that point, the value just trumped any other factors that you had. Um, and I really like a lot of things about Tylen Wallace. I think that they want to put him in the slot. He mentioned that in his press conference. I was wondering if he was going to be used on the left side uh, and compete over there and get some snaps with Sammy and uh, and. Uh, Bateman, but he actually mentioned using the slot. So that might be a little bit of a transition for him, but there's a lot to like about Tylen Wallace. Um, a lot of the same things as Prochet, De decent route runner, not as good as Prochet, but you're talking about a tough guy that plays above his weight. And uh, I saw the comparison and I really apologize to the person that I can't think of your name right now, but Heinz Ward. And I thought that that was a really interesting comparison. Ravens fans remember him. Well, uh, we'll knock your block off in the run game. Uh, plays bigger than you would expect. I mean, Wallace is 5'11", Hines Ward and Wallace play like they're 6'2". Yeah, I thought he was taller, to be honest. I was looking it up uh, before we talked about him, and I was like, oh, really? He's 5'11"? Like, he doesn't play like that. Just right. like you said, just watching the film, I saw all of him. He, he plays bigger. 
Um, and yeah, if he's able to come in and be that blocking guy, which is why I looked it up, I was like, how big is he? Uh, if he can provide that kind of blocks that everyone, you know, drools over Boykin's ability to do, which I mean, legitimately, he did extend plays last year. That was like one of his biggest values. I think that makes it even easier. I think he makes the roster over Boykin almost regardless, but I think it makes it even easier uh, for us to transition away. For sure, man. I, I hope he gets worked in slowly and not rushed in because Wallace, I think, is a guy who will stay on his rookie contract throughout. He's just solid and steady. The The only thing I worry about with him is uh, the ACLs, and people blew this up as a big deal because his brother had three knee injuries that ended his uh, college career, his football career, really. And I'm like, ah, well, who cares? It's his brother. That's not him. Well, it turns out that's his twin brother. So I'm not a uh, scientist or biologist or anything, but – that kind of like, uh, well, wait a minute. Do they share the exact same DNA? Like, the, you know, so maybe that was a reason that he dropped. But uh, I love Tylen Wallace, the football player. I hope I hope he stays healthy and stays here for all four years. All right. Well, that's certainly, I mean, wide receiver a position that the Ravens have had a lot of trouble with over the years. But I mean, certainly a lot to, of excitement to look at as far as the depth is concerned at that position. And then transitioning from a position that the Ravens have has struggled with historically to one that they've actually been pretty solid at over the years. Uh, tight end, we know that Mark Andrews is definitely the number one guy. Uh, but then after that, we have some questions. Nick Boyle is going to be the number two if he's healthy to start the season. Um, hopefully that'll be the case and he'll be back full strength because we know how important Boyle is to the run game. And he's starting to starting to become a little bit of a, of a red zone presence too. He's had a couple touchdowns over the past two seasons after having none to start his career. But um, tight end three is definitely a w- position that is going to attract a lot of intrigue uh, during the preseason. As we all know, Hayden Hurst had a big role in that 2019 offense that was lacking last year. Um, and there's a lot of names here that could potentially step up and be that guy for the Ravens or even take some time at tight end two if Boyle needs some time to, to get back into the swing of things. And I think what's interesting is that you got a lot of different skill sets with with all these guys like you you know you got some guys who are much more blockers some guys who are much more receivers and there's a lot of different ways the ravens could go here it sure is um and i think that uh we're in the dark about this because of boyle's health like this would be a much easier conversation to have if we knew if boyle's going to be 100 percent to start the season whether he's going to be limited for the first handful of games um, it really would make it easier to predict, in my opinion, who else is going to make the roster and, and what they're looking for in their third, possibly fourth tight end. I think it's worth talking about both scenarios. So I think with all things equal, uh, everyone's healthy. I think Oliver is a slam dunk. I was probably the most excited person on Ravens Twitter <laughs> when we signed him. I, I don't know if I was the only one who knew who he was, <laughs> but I just remembered it was funny because when we talked about it on the show, Peter also like might have saw the same uh, tweets about it or whatever. <laughs> that he was like this like sleeper tight end guy in the fantasy football world. And I looked at it into him at that time and I was like, Oh yeah, I can see this. Like he seems like a talented player. And then they just like, got rid of him. And, and Jacksonville, I don't think they know what they're doing over there. I really don't, you know, the new coaching staff, like I don't have that much confidence in them. They drafted ETN way too high. Uh, <laughs> like in my opinion, like that's not the way to build your team. That's rebuilding, but so, so be it. And, uh, I think they just let this guy leave because he was from the old regime. And I think he might be a huge steal. And a lot of people are seeing that he's doing well in camp. And I just, I'm very excited uh, to have that player on our team. I think he's going to make it. I think we're losing that comp pick or uh, the conditional pink rather. 
okay. uh, for him. And I think he makes it almost either way because I think if uh, Boyle's not able to go, they're going to just uh, put him on the, uh, like the, was it the, the six week return or is it three weeks this year? Uh, whatever it is for like IRL, I think they'll just give him the time to be able to come back and they get two guys on the roster and they'll figure it out later. That's my hunch. Yeah. Does anybody else want to weigh in there? Because I have definitely a lot of thoughts on this one. Yeah. I mean, the the only thing I was just going to say, I feel like I haven't seen a whole lot of tape from Eli Wolf um, probably since like the 20, 2019 preseason, whatever the last preseason I think that we went to. I feel like I haven't seen him play since then. Um, so I really don't know too much to expect there. Um, you know, just because he's had game experience, you know, Tomlinson, if, if Boyle isn't going to play, I feel like he kind of has a leg up in terms of just like a pure blocker. Um, it wouldn't be that bad to keep him there, even if it's only for a few more weeks. But um, yeah, other than that, I, I don't, I feel like I haven't seen a whole lot of tape on some of these other guys. So I'm interested to, to see uh, your take, Jason. Sure. Um, Eli Wolf, if I was to explain it to somebody in the simplest terms, uh, one that you could pick at, you know, and gets uh, specific on me. But think of a, a poor man's Hayden Hurst. That's what I see with Eli Wolf. He can block, uh, not as well as Hurst can block, in my opinion. He has some work to do. He can catch. He's got a little bit of juice. Um, his 40 times were all over the place, uh, and they weren't reliable. Uh, I think his school clocked him at a 4-4-3. He's not running a 4-4-3 at tight end. So I think you can throw that out. But I think it's safe to say that Eli Wolf is a four or five type of guy. He's pretty fast for a tight end. He has decent receiving skills. He can block. They said a poor man's Hayden Hurst is the best way I could describe him. If you want kind of a do it all tight end, that, that could be a guy to go to. But um, I just wanted to touch on the other guys real quick. Uh, Josh Oliver. I'm totally with Alec. And as a matter of fact, I had a, a conversation with Dev Panchwa about this. And um, the thing that really sticks out to me about Oliver is what Alex said, we got him for a seventh round conditional pick. And this is a guy, when you get drafted in the third round out of a smaller school, you're doing something right. And there's some like really good qualities that you have about him. And uh, I don't know if you guys saw the stadium practice, but you got to see he's got real ball skills, and real body control. Um, almost like I men- mentioned with Benjamin Victor, uh, Josh Oliver is a bigger guy than Victor, but his body control for a tight end is, is top notch. And uh, I love talking to Dev about that. He brought up uh, his past, and that, that was a great conversation. And then um, one guy that we didn't talk about, uh, well, I want to say first, Tomlinson. If Boyle's going to be out, Tomlinson's got to make this team. The most solid, solid, steady veteran blocker. And when people think talk about Boyle as a blocker, they just leave it at, well, he's one of the best blocking tight He's the best blocking tight end in the league. But it's a little bit deeper than that. When you look at where they line uh, boil up and what they ask them to block, who they ask them to block. It's everywhere. Like if you want to say who's your best tight end to line up next to the right tackle and block a defensive end, it's Nick Boyle. If you want to put somebody in motion and attack a linebacker, who's your best guy? Nick Boyle. You want a big guy to go out and cut the secondary. I'm sure you guys can picture it. We've seen it so many times. Boyle with the cut block. It's Nick Boyle. So it's not just he's a great blocker. He's great at every single kind of block. And I was really impressed with Eric Tomlinson last year, how he came in and took most of that responsibility. Ricard took on some duties, but uh, if Boyle's not ready, Tomlinson should make this team. And then the wild card is Tony Poljan. Um, This guy is super intriguing, 6'7", and he did a Brandon Stevens where he played quarterback. Uh, I think he was like an all-state quarterback. I wonder if I have it written down. Central Michigan. 
So he was the Michigan State Player of the Year, or whatever, as a play as a quarterback. Went to Central Central Michigan, played quarterback. Decided he wanted to graduate, transfer to Virginia, and held his own as a six seven tight end. I mean, red zone threat. He looks extremely awkward to me sometimes with the way he moves, but it's a strange awkward because he has those quarterback skills. Like he led the league or led the state in like as an option quarterback, if you can imagine. So <laughs> he's got some skills, but he's six seven. So you know, once you get uh, over a certain height, it's tough to have like short, compact, muscle memory driven legs. So um, I, I think he's going to have to work on his blocking, considering it's a new position for him. You can't just say, hey, you're big. Go block a defensive end. Go block Clowney. Um, but they definitely an interesting guy. I was glad that we picked up as an undrafted free agent this year. Yeah, all great points there. I, I really agree with, with what you guys are saying about uh, Oliver. I think he's extremely intriguing. And like we said, the Ravens got him for practically nothing. Um, and the upside there is is huge. And if he doesn't pan out, then... You know, they gave up pretty much nothing for him. So uh, he's going to get a huge look during the preseason. It'll be really interesting to see what happens when you get the pads on. Um, I think you brought up a great point with, with Tomlinson. Really was a pretty overlooked uh, member of the, of the team last year uh, with what he did in Boyle's absence. And for the Ravens run game to not only, you know, not lose a step, but pretty much eclipse what they were able to do before Boyle was out, um, not that that was Boyle's fault. That, there was a, a myriad of of reasons as to why the run game was struggling uh, during that time. Um, so, yeah, if, if Boyle's out, then he definitely has to be on the roster. I do think that Jacob Breland is an intriguing player, but I just think the injury history with him missing all of last year and, um, you know, he landed on the... On the, the um, yeah, he hasn't he hasn't gotten out of the tub yet, Peter. Like he can't get right. On the field yeah, to- yeah. He's he's a guy that um, I was looking at um, when we were doing our our, our pre draft show in for the twenty twenty draft, and he was a guy I thought who was intriguing that the Ravens could get late in the draft uh, as a guy they could have tried out at the number three tight end position last year, and they ended up getting him undrafted. But yeah, well, it looks like he he has potential. If he, the problem is he had that ACL injury that ended his college career early and just hasn't been getting healthy. So I think he's an extreme long shot uh, to make the team and to compete for a position on this team. But yeah, I think everything we're saying, there's a, a lot of intrigue here at, at this group. Um, there's one more thing that I wanted to add, and that is that Ben Mason was drafted. They made him a tight end or announced him as a tight end, I believe, on purpose just to kind of take the pressure off on why are we drafting another fullback? Uh, But he played exclusively fullback in college. His blocking assignments are that of a fullback. He's actually was pretty darn good on the goal line. um, In my opinion, it wasn't a lot of tape on it, obviously, but it's a big dude that handled the ball, got his pad level low and drove the pile. But I don't know how, what they're going to do with Ben Mason. It was curious to me that they did uh, label him as a tight end, announce him as a tight end. Um, I think even on the website, it has him or the Ravens roster. It, I think it marks him as a tight end. Yeah. So, um, I, I, you know, I'm super curious to see what's going on. It's not a pick that I liked, um, to be honest. And saying that, I hope I buy his jersey in a couple of years. But what that tells me is they they may or they're coming to the realization that they may get priced out on the uh, Patrick Ricard sweepstakes next year. So that's that's the best way I could 
explain that pick away. Yeah, and I think that's actually a really good transition into uh, kind of the dime back safety role um, that we're looking into because a similar pick for the Ravens was uh, Brendan Stevens, who's in a short amount of time in camp quickly uh, silencing the critics. Uh, apparently, the guy looks like he knows how to play the game. And um, I think between him and the plethora of other options, um, one guy undrafted, uh, Adarius Washington, who he could have went much higher. People are wondering why he wasn't drafted. I think there's a lot of interesting talent. Of course, uh, last year's PFF darling, Geno Stone, um, and then uh, Camp Warrior, <laughs> no pun intended, of <laughs> Nigel Warrior, right? Like he um, was a huge name last year in camp. Uh, a lot of people thought he could make the roster. And then, of course, Jordan Richards. I think there's a lot of players um, kind of competing for that extra safety uh, dimeback role, uh, maybe special teams as well. And I think there are a lot of interesting players. Yeah, I think the important thing to remember here is that in the dime packages, uh, the dime back is actually Chuck Clark or Deshaun Elliott. So a lot of people think that your dime back is your deep back, the deep safety in those coverages. Um, it's really not. Um, the dime backer has, uh, is a freed up position, freed up responsibilities to kind of put it the best way I could put it is to freestyle. And Chuck Clark is awesome in that role with his instincts, his ability to uh, tackle. You know, it, Chuck's just a heads up player. But the Ravens reduced their time pack, uh, dime packages last year. Had a long discussion with Ken McCusick on my channel about this because they didn't have anybody that they trusted to play on the back end. So they had Levine, they had Richards, they didn't trust those guys to play the back end. Um, and Brandon Stevens screams out to me a guy that could cover that role because of his pure speed, this physicality. But it's a big ask, guys. What do you think about sticking a rookie in our dime packages, uh, playing like a single high or split safety look in the back end of your defense, a rookie, you know, and trusting a rookie with basically what uh, Earl Thomas and Eric Weddle were in charge of. Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, I'd have to imagine be some sort of rotation unless, you know, we got to see a lot more tape on Stevens and, and he can lock down that job day one. But I would imagine you have to rotate him, you know, back at least to the start, maybe with, you know, if Jimmy Smith, if all our corners yep. are healthy, knock on wood, like he might be able to slide into that role. Um, if Chris Board makes the roster, potentially he might be another option. He did a little bit of that. Um, it's not ideal. I probably wouldn't prefer it, but um I'm sure that they could find somebody to to kind of rotate him until he's ready to take that on full time. Sure. And of course, Board's not going to play your deep safety. He's he's lined up as a linebacker. A lot of people would call him the dime back, but it's it's really a, a nickel look if you have two uh, linebackers on the field. So I'm looking at that back end is, is specifically what I was talking about. Jimmy played it early when Tavon was healthy. That first right. game, Jimmy Smith was on the back end. They trust him. So you can put Jimmy back there but he might be a player that you don't ask to play 20 snaps a dime. Um, maybe you mix Stevens in. Um, and if he's not ready, if they don't like either one of those options, Ardarius Washington, um, his instincts are off the charts. One of the best pure football players, like uh, you reminded me of Antoine Winfield of last year. And I think if he would have ran in the ran, uh, I think he ran close to four, six, like four, five, nine. If he was a four, four guy, he would have been drafted around the where Winfield was last year because He's just that darn good of a football player, man. I mean, it's it's his size and speed are the only things negative I can say about Ardarius Washington. I hope he makes this team, and uh, I would be comfortable. So, yeah, if you're looking at a dime back, you really, like like I said, you have to think of it. You're going to have Chuck Clark and maybe Elliott in the box playing those intermediate. You may or be looking for a safety that can cover the deep end and rotate in with Jimmy. 
so that I'll play a lot into that conversation. And then uh, Warrior, I don't know what you guys think about him, but both him and Stone have some hybrid qualities as far as they're not great strong safeties or free safeties. They kind of profile as a mix of both, almost like a, in a Deshaun Elliott type of, type of uh, style player. So when you look at all these guys, when we're watching the preseason games, what are the things you're going to be looking out for? And another like kind of question I was thinking about um, for a future um, competition battle here is how do you best judge them against the different levels of talent, right? So if, let's say, uh, Ardarius Washington gets to go with the ones, just for example's sake, um, and then we don't see Nigel Warrior uh, start playing until the threes are out, how how best do you decide? Are you going to be maybe looking to see, okay, now the next week they rotate them so they get a better look? Is that the kind of thing you're looking for, to be like, okay, Nigel Warrior's performance against the threes um, has warranted more time against higher competition? I think, Alec, one of the big things is where are they playing in the defense? So um, I want to know who they're lining up deep in these three safety packages. Like I, you know, that's, that's the big thing for me as far as what they're looking for and the way you're going to make this team is in the dime package or on special teams. So instead of uh, looking at the two or three plays where they're actually involved in the play, look where they're lining up before the play is what I would say because that's indicating what they're doing in practice, which we don't get to see. So yeah, are they are they comfortable enough with Warrior to put him in the back end of Diane Packages or Geno Stone, who's a really smart player, very instinctive player, but is kind of a, a little more clunky as a mover? Um, do they trust Ardarius and his size and speed in the back end? Because if they don't, it's going to be hard for those guys to make the team. You'd be basically filling in for Chuck Clark at that point uh, as a backup. You know, if you're not trusted to, to take some responsibility in the back end of that defense. So dime defense, three corners, three safeties on the field. When you see three corners and three safeties, who are the three safeties and where are they lined up? And I think that that could tell you a lot or you can you can kind of read into it and read into it from there. Yeah. And, and to kind of go off my previous point of, all right, we're going to be seeing these different players against different levels of talent. Um, it's impossible really for them to play every single game. I'm mostly talking about left guard. We know it's a big battle right now with uh, Powers, Cleveland, and Phillips, essentially. And um, whilst everyone was saying, oh, we think it's going to be Cleveland because of the way Harps talked about him and just the way he plays, you didn't see that going into camp. Now, it could just be, uh, you know, let the rookie earn it. Um, but they started, I think, with uh, Phillips, and then they, like, rotated the Powers with the first team, and then, and then Cleveland got a shot the third day. Um, so when you're looking at this competition, what are the best things to keep an eye on? And there are a few things on this one. Um, it's a confusing situation to me because as thin as we are at tackle, I was really surprised to see Tyree lining up at left guard throughout the stadium practice. No reps at right tackle. They just let Michael Schofield be a turnstile over there. Even without pads on, it was like, oh my goodness, what is this guy doing? So it kind of alarmed me. But um, the big thing to look for, I think, is the movement skills of these players. Now, Tyree Phillips has got all the athletic ability in the world. His problem last year was um, just mentally picking up the game and, of course, not having an offseason really hurt him. But uh, I think the coaches are in love with Tyree Phillips, and the reason I say that is they had Ben Powers and DJ Fluker. Uh, Powers was in the system already a year or two. DJ Fluker's been around the league. What did they do opening day? We're putting the rookie with no training camp in the right guard. 
So that, you know, when I read between the lines, that tells me the Harbaugh really likes him and rotated him to the um, very bitter end. If you remember that interception mm-hmm. down on the goal line, um, yep. they stuck with Tyree. So um, having him at left guard, I mean, he may be the best left guard on the team. But for me, it just makes me nervous because I think we'll be okay at left guard regardless of who plays. I'm worried about right tackle or what happens if Stanley goes down or if he's not ready. I would like to see young Tyree get a little bit taken off his plate and just concentrate on playing right tackle. But uh, that's that's me. Um, so who knows? But yes, they want to move her there is, is part of the reason I'm not buying Ben Powers. I do agree that keeping Phillips at right tackle is, I feel like, what the Ravens should focus on. Um, and I think you bring up a, a good point with we don't really know how well Stanley's going to be, um, how healthy he's going to be to start the season. We are just talking about the same thing with Boyle. We only have so much of a window into that information. Um, but then you also look at the fact that, yes, the Ravens brought in Villanueva uh, for the right tackle role. Um, Villanueva has been a strong player for a while for in this league. You know, the Steelers didn't give him up because he's still at the prime of his career. He's 32. Um, he's older. And, yeah, you're 100% right. If he has to, to go over to, to left tackle because Stanley's still hurt, um, and you also have to think about the future of this team, too. How long is Villanueva going to be here? Phillips is a guy that you think that the Ravens can groom to be that right tackle of the future to take over for Orlando Brown. So agree with what you're saying there with uh, the Ravens focusing Phillips at right tackle. Regardless, it doesn't look like that's going to happen. So, um, or, you know, they have McCary uh, working at left tackle at the stadium practice. And who knows? They could just be throwing us off. But when I see reports and when I ask specifically, they say, yeah, Tyree's at left guard. Um, which kind of drives me nuts. Powers, um, he can, or Ben Powers, his limitations are in his movement skills. I think that he's shown us pretty much who he is as a pro last year, which is a guy, uh, if you want to talk about skills and traits, uh, pretty solid, uh, just a little top heavy. Um, he can get thrown off balance and his recovery skills when he gets beat are actually very good. Like he's a guy who should be called for a lot of penalties, but he's just that darn good at recovering and getting a piece. And that's really all that, uh, all that Lamar needs, but I can't see powers pulling and you know how much our, you know, our base bread and butter run play is pulling that left guard on that power run to the right. That's something that Ben Cleveland is going to be, should be very good at. He is a better athlete um, than people give him credit for. Go ahead and look up his stats. Uh, The big man can move just because he's a, uh, an absolute force uh, (laughs) uh, in the middle punishing people doesn't mean that he can't pull but uh, the thing is, there's more to pulling than just being quick. You have to. You saw it with Bozeman, who's not a great athlete. He's so under control with the contact point. He finds his vision is awesome. He'll find his guy and he'll get his body on the guy. It doesn't matter if the guy's cutting him or how he's attacking the play. So um, how they pull, it's something that I think McCary would actually be really good at if you wanted to throw him in the left guard uh, conversation. But I do believe that McCary will be used as a backup at multiple positions and they won't want to just throw him in there and risk injury to McCary. So how do you, how do you guys, I mean, given all everything I said, I'd like to hear what you guys think and how they're going to play this. It's really interesting with the whole situation with McCary. Um, You know, I remember us talking uh, probably a few months ago at this point about how I thought it was just a terrible idea to move Bozeman the center um, just because I I thought he had performed pretty well. Um, He's been an excellent puller at the left guard spot. And I was just, 
I figured it would probably be easier to plug somebody in at center or even like if we had to keep McCarry there until um, other players are ready. But it certainly seems like the coaching staff is is kind of in love with him in, in terms of like that kind of uh, James Hurst role of just a not good enough to play anywhere on the line as a starter, but is good enough to play any position if he absolutely has to as a backup. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's interesting. I would definitely prefer not to have him at tackle if, if you know, uh, if possible. Um, you know, Phillips, I definitely think would be preferred there. But um, yeah, it's it, it's it's really interesting just in general how the you know how the cards have kind of played this position group. It, it feels like we've been wanting to have a, a backup tackle for a while now, and we just haven't picked anybody who really fits that role. We just keep trying to find these these uh, these players in the draft who are these like guard tackle hybrids, but probably slot out to be one of the guard spots. It's uh, it's kind of weird. I feel like they must be thinking of uh, Juwan James as like the solution in the future. Because it doesn't make any sense otherwise why you wouldn't have Phillips uh, grooming to be uh, an offensive tackle, in my opinion. Or at least a depth piece there. They must really like him and think that he's going to recover well from his injury. That's my only rationale. And I don't like it. I'll say, (laughs) put it out there. I I think they should have. I think it's so much easier to find a guard than a tackle. Like, let Phillips try to be a good tackle and just put all this time there, we can find guards all day long because literally yeah. half the tackles turn into guards. In well, well said. Well said. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's it's a position we develop very well, offensive line. It's it's easier to find guards than tackle, the players that can stick a tackle. And to your point, Alec, I mean, we have a pretty stacked team this year. We have a pretty decent shot at, uh, if everything goes well, of being there towards the end of the season. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, the future, Juwan James in the future is is great and all. Um, but what about this year? I mean, what, who's, who's, who, who's going to be the next man up at tackle um, if and when somebody goes down? So, so yeah, it's, a, it's a, definitely a worthwhile discussion. I, 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 you know, I'm with all you guys. I, I would really like to see Tyree at right tackle. But if he's the best darn left guard on the team by far, Stanley's in there and Villanueva's in there, I guess I can't complain putting your best five out there. So uh, that would be the counter. Yeah, I feel like that has to be the case of Tyree must, you know, his like, uh, while he didn't show it his rookie year, his mental intangibles, like his ability to learn must be like off the charts if the coaching staff really likes him to play all these different spots. I mean, yeah, for a rookie to go in and start at like all of those different spots and, you know, even though he didn't perform very well, they must really see something like this guy is going to be very special if, if he can be like a very good guard, but also like a good tackle if needed. You know, he, he just he's one of those guys who hopefully just has has to have like that that mental fortitude and, and just ability to play. Uh, it has the mental fortitude and versatility. That's what I was trying to say. <laughs> well, you know what it reminds me of, guys. It reminds me of the uh, Brandon Stevens pick. To be honest, uh, if you recall, it was like the last pick of the third round last year too. Uh, very close to it, and we came in there and we drafted Phillips, and everyone was kind of scratching their head a little bit, and they must have loved the guy, right? And the same thing happened this year with uh, with Brandon Stevens. They they drafted him. People started scratching their head. Now, Phillips didn't have quite the rookie year uh, that we maybe hope of Stevens, but he also had very different circumstances with COVID and just kind of being thrown into a position that, uh, if anything, he needed to be groomed for. <laughs> like it wasn't the one that he probably would be most successful at uh, day one. In two in two positions that he's never played probably in his life. So I think that that's important too. Uh, he went from being a left tackle, probably the best guy on the line his whole life, to 
Hey, play in the NFL at right guard or and right tackle. No, right guard. No, back to right tackle at <laughs> yep. the NFL level in the middle of COVID in the, you know. So I'm sorry, Alec, but yeah, I got excited there. No, you're right, dude. You're 100% right. And I think the segues, man, today, they've been going right themselves, like from like a, a teachability, right? <laughs> like we're saying that uh, Phillips, you know, must be like being able to learn from the, the coaching staff and they really like what they see. Man, I, I'm seeing a lot out of Owe already. It seems like he's just soaking up everything they're telling him and uh, getting me more and more excited about his talent. We knew that he was probably a, a home run swing from DaCosta, maybe not necessarily even for this year. But the more and more you see of him, he's definitely going to play a role. Now, uh, this uh, topic was a little bit different when I first wrote the document because we didn't just had signed Justin Houston. Now, this really changes the way we look at um, the back end of this rotation because now our outside uh, linebacker edge position is stacked. I think we have a very uh, solid group, and I'm curious to see how guys like Sack Daddy Ferguson and uh, Chris Smith, Chauncey Rivers, uh, Aaron Adoe, do they, they have, do they have a role in this team? Are they going to make it? And if so, what is it that we have to see from them this uh, preseason to feel that way? I actually think Chauncey Rivers and Chris Smith are both long shots. And the reason is because they do not fit the prototypical mold of role or mold of a outside linebacker in Baltimore. They're both uh, 6'1", 6'2". They're both 260 pounds. So you're talking about, if you guys understand, this is more of a player with their hand in their dirt. Uh, think of a, maybe a McPhee type, but you know, even McPhee is a little taller than that. But Chris Smith... Um, and Chauncey Rivers, I'm, I'm looking Smith 6'1", 266, Rivers 6'2", 262. Um, so those guys are going to have to be able, if you're looking for certain traits uh, to watch for this preseason, it would be the ability for them to uh, flex inside and provide a pass rush on the inside like a McPhee does at outside linebacker. Yeah, I, I have to agree with that. And it's just, I think it also just comes down to a numbers game and that the fact that the Ravens were able to get Houston um, and everything that he's been able to do in his career, what he brings to the table. Um, they're looking for less now um, because they filled a huge need of a consistent guy on the edge who can get to the quarterback. Um, and I think just you look at the other guys, you know, they've got the the coverage linebacker in Bowser and they got the, the run stuffer in uh, Ferguson and, you know, Away, they're going to work him in, obviously, and I think, yeah, at that point, there just doesn't really seem like that, unless maybe as like the one of the last uh, players on the roster, uh, would these guys even have a shot of making the team? I think it's going to take an injury because you look at Dalen Hayes, a guy that you didn't mention there, and he meant he said in his press conference that they were working him in at defensive end in their sub packages. And that's the role I was just talking about that uh, Chris Smith um, would play, you know. So if you're looking at Smith, Chauncey Rivers playing the five tech. Well, hey, we just drafted a guy in the fifth round to do that whose coverage skills are, I mean, he's a mini Tyus Bowser. You look at Dalen Hayes, I believe in this guy a lot. Um, I believe that he'll be able to cover it at an NFL level right away. Wink loves his versatility. So imagine Dalen Hayes being one of those guys that they stuff up at the line of scrimmage in front of a guard who can drop and actually make a play and cover. That's why I think Dalen Hayes is going to have a role on this team and it's going to be tough for the other two. 
Yeah, I didn't mention him because I think he's a lock. Um, you know, he's a draft pick of ours. We don't like to get rid of those. And also, like you said, I like him a lot uh, from what I've been able to see so far and the way the Ravens want to use him, the way they're talking about him. It seems like he's part of the plans. So it almost he's not even in the battle. It's curious to see how they're going to execute using him, particularly right away. I think for both him and Owe, it's not so much we know what we think long term, right? You just said he's like a Tyus Bowser mini. So that's like what you want long term. But what are they going to do with him day one? What are they doing with him this season? Uh, what kind of role can he play in limited snaps and in just limited uh, need? But, you know, if injury does happen, he might be called upon. Uh, and that could, uh, you know, th- then you'll see very quickly um, how ready he is. Yeah, Dalen Hayes has to stay ready because, I mean, let's go over the group. Away hasn't been asked to cover. Um, so you're, you know, he hasn't played football very long. So that's a big ask. Ferguson, not a coverage guy. McPhee, not a coverage guy. Um, so you look around, it's Bowser. And then if you need another coverage linebacker, it's going to be Dalen Hayes. So how they use them is going to be fascinating. I mean, uh, Away is, has the physical skills to cover. There's no doubt about it. I think that he'll be asked to do that more and more as the season goes along. Um, but, but yeah, man, I, I just mentioned Dalen Hayes. I didn't mean to stray off topic just because I think that his presence really prohibits, uh, Chris Smith, um, and, uh, Chauncey Rivers from making the roster. Now, how many edge players, uh, do we think Ravens are going to keep? Is this a five player, six player? Cause uh, one of the things I was thinking about is, um, is there a chance that Ferguson maybe isn't, doesn't make the team this year? Yeah. I, uh, I think it's going to be a long road for Jalen Ferguson and, um, I have to admit, I I, I, uh, I I hate saying that because I really like him, but um, when you look at how deep we are at safety, which we already went over, I mean, are you going to keep a sixth edge or would you rather cut Ardarius Washington? Like, uh, you know, numbers are going to have to work out here somewhere. And when I look at the versatility we have in that group, as, as well as what we have on the, what people would call defensive linemen, I don't think there's room for six uh, outside linebackers on this team. So, um, so, yeah, it's going to be a, a, a struggle for Ferguson. And I think that uh, at the stadium practice, if you guys really want to watch it, go back and watch it again. Look at the reps that Ferguson took. It told to me through my scout's eyes, I look at everything through evaluation. I've realized that they're not in pads. So when you're not in pads, I don't know if you've ever guys have practiced this. The only thing you have are your hands. It's the only thing you really can use because the offensive linemen really aren't bodying you up. They're putting their hands up and then you're, you know, you're practicing your swipes or trying to get around them. And Ferguson, even in that situation was not using his hands. He has the least active hands. I think I've seen of any Ravens outside linebacker. You would think he would learn from a guy like McPhee McPhee, who has those power hands and a nice bull rush. But I mean, Jalen Ferguson has a very good bull rush. I think an NFL quality bull rush. The thing is, when you're going against offensive tackles in the NFL, you better have something else or they can sit on that bull rush and it's really not going to be that effective. So um, Jalen Ferguson, man, he's really going to have to step it up to be uh, worthy of keeping. And if you want to look for a trait, it's his hand usage. What is he doing? Is he just putting it in the tackle's chest like he does, like he's done for the first two years of his career? Or does he have a swipe? Does he have a cross move? Does he have a counter? Does he have a spin? I haven't seen any of this in two years, not once. No. You can also learn from Houston, man. I was watching his like hype video when he got signed. I was like, mm-hmm. man, yeah, he can play. Yeah. <laughs> you know? It's like I knew him from around the league, but I never like watched a you know a film highlights of him. Yeah, dude. Uh, <laughs> dude, he uh I think he's gonna teach away really well because like Ferguson's a different style player, but man, if you watch Justin Houston, the opposite of what I just said about Ferguson, 
his hands are awesome, man. He's got like all kinds of tricks in the book, uh, dip and rip, cross chop. He can do it all, man. Yeah, definitely. Nice. I'll, nice. I'll see that too. Yeah, that's a good point about Ferguson. Yeah, one of the things that always really bothered me the first two years, I, I hate to say this, but he, he reminds me of Boykin in a way of just like he's really good at one thing, but that's it. Um, you know, it's just like so much tape from the first few years. He just doesn't use his hands. He doesn't really have a whole lot of explosion off the line. And it felt like a lot of the pressures and sacks that he would get would just like the play would break down. It would be a coverage sack, basically. He just was not quick enough to be able to get to the ball. And, you know, one of the big things I feel like we learned last year was that, um, you know, he could, even though he stepped it up in, in run defense, he just wasn't good enough in anything else to justify having that spot. Jod Ward got that final spot. And, I mean, he was inactive for most of the second half of the season, I think. So it was the last four games. Um, if yeah. you remember, Jod Ward was inactive at first. But uh, uh, Ferguson's lack of flexibility is another thing working against him. Yeah. He, the Ravens picked Ward over him, in my opinion, because Ward could slide inside and rush. And mm-hmm. Ferguson really, that's really not his game. So um, I really wish I had, I had a more positive spin. I apologize for any Jalen Ferguson fans out there. I just I just haven't seen it, man. And the, the preseason or the uh, preseason season games themselves and that joint practice with Carolina are going to mean a lot to his future with the Ravens. Not to steal like something you told me before uh, the show, but uh, when I was talking to Jason, he was like, when you look at a prospect, if they do one thing really well in college, they're probably not going to make in the NFL. They need to have two things at least. Um, and I think that's kind of what we're getting at with Ferguson is that he never really had that second thing and he never developed it. And unless it happens, uh, you know, overnight, he has some kind of renaissance. Uh, we're not seeing it this year yet. And uh, like you said, it's gonna be a long road. Remember that, Alec. Remember that, Alec. That's going to pay off later in your uh, draft <laughs> draft words, because a lot of people get caught up on one particular skill trait, whatever it is, man, you got it. You know, like even the Henry Ruggs, he better be able to break it off and run an out route or else these NFL corners and safeties are going to be able to sit on that deep ball. I never understood that pick. I was joking about it, and then they did it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, man. <laughs> they literally did what I was joking about. They can't help themselves. All right, let's go and talk about cornerback. This is another very interesting room. I was super ecstatic when we got Sean Wade. I think uh, he was a huge steal, fell down the draft board. But then you got guys like Amon Marshall, who never got healthy. Uh, we haven't really seen anything from him. Uh, they re-signed Devontae Harris, who had some moments at the end of last year. Uh, Khalil Dorsey, Quiz Westry. How is this group going to shape up, and what do we expect to see going into uh, these preseason games? Well, I tell you, I, um, I forgot to write this down, but the number of corners that we've kept the last two years has been varied. Um, and it, I think it was a, a range of two or three players. So how they're used in the uh, in the preseason is going to be key again. I think the true battle is who is going to be the slot receiver backing up Tavon Young. Whoever that is, is got the inside track. So if I'm looking at uh, Sean Wade, this is his time to step up and shine. I like that pick. I think, he, you know, obviously he's going to make the roster. But um, if the Ravens question his performance, that may open uh, the door for somebody like Dorsey. Uh, I think that's a long shot. And then uh, the most interesting guy of the group by far is Westry, um, 6'4", with a 4'3'6", outside corner. That says it all to me. Like, I, you know, I have not yet to see him practice, but if you're 6'4", and run a 4'3'6", and can press, and can run, and apparently he's, like, unstoppable and Madden or something, too, which I thought was pretty funny. <laughs> I don't play Madden, so I don't know, but uh, 
But uh, but yeah, Chris Westry cannot wait to see just what he's doing. Interesting. Yeah, one name on this list, Devontae Harris, actually. I should have brought him up when we were talking about the Dimeback, but Jason, you'll have to correct me if I'm wrong. Did he play any uh, Dimeback snaps or any like that deep safety role snaps last year when he was with us, or was it purely cornerback? Yeah, he was He is mostly used in the slot. I don't recall him off the top of my head. I could be wrong being a, a deep safety, but the Ravens okay. did use some four cornerback Dimes. Uh, mm-hmm. They got picked on in that package, if you remember, in the Steelers game That's at home. Right, yeah. Uh, Terrell Bonds, uh, they kept going at him. So Devontae Harris kind of shored that up. I think it was a way for them to get six defensive backs on the field because they didn't trust Levine or any or Richards or any of the other guys to actually play on the defensive side. They were special teams only. So this cornerback battle, I think, has something to do with how they categorize Jimmy and uh, Brandon Stevens, to go back to my original point. Because I think I really think the number is between 10 and 12 between those two groups where we kept 10 one year and 12 the next. If I'm wrong, I'm sorry, but I do know that between 2019 and 2020, the number of defensive backs we had uh, fluctuated, whereas other positions you could say like receiver, we're going to keep six or maybe seven or, you know, inside linebackers. We're probably going to keep four. Like Mm -hmm. the defensive backs is a very flexible, somebody can play their way into that position. So uh, as far as what you're looking for, I, I would just say basic football fan stuff. Like who's stepping up? stepping up keep your eye on these guys when they're in the game watch what happens at the line of scrimmage before they dart out of your tv screen uh see see who's making plays on the ball i mean we're all going to be in the same boat for this if i get the all 22 back i will be more than happy to point out you know and dig into all this because i this is my favorite position uh you know i played a little safety myself so i love love the defensive back position love it yeah i hope we get it back it's really frustrating I was kind of banking on it this preseason to be able to watch uh, the games because uh, I know, like, for one of them, I won't be able to watch live. And I'm like, oh, man, if you're not going to have the games, like, <laughs> am I supposed to watch this, like, in any like, good way? So kind of disappointed. Yeah, I, I love the Sean Wade pick. I think he makes a lot of sense, like you said. He'll make the team. It's really a question of uh, if one of these other guys is going to be able to show enough to warrant a spot, particularly on such a loaded roster. You might be able to sneak one of them. That's, uh, I think, a valid point, too particularly the guy like Imam Marshall. They could definitely cut him if they liked him because I mean, no one's seen him. I just think uh, they could keep it that way um, if they really wanted to. So we'll see. Yeah, and uh, Imam Marshall is a guy who peaked very early. And I believe he was a uh, California player of the year. You know, he was very decorated when he came into USC, stepped on the scene, had himself a nice uh, you know, freshman or sophomore season, whatever was his first full big season, and then struggled towards the end, kind of dropped in the draft almost like Sean Wade did, but, uh, you know, Wade had a lot of things going against him last year. Alec, I don't know if you remember, but he was fighting through an injury, a position change. He lost a couple of members of his family. Uh, he decided to play through it. And like Rashad Bateman, the Ravens kind of threw out the 2020 and leaned on the full season, regular season tape. They did not dock a guy for having a down year or an off year in 2020. They went by his high moments and what he looked like when he was going right. So um, I applaud the Ravens for that. And that seems like organizational philosophy. I mean, COVID obviously is, you know, it's a pandemic tragedy. Uh, people were feeling it everywhere. But uh, the Ravens said, you know what? You're going to face adversity in the uh, NFL, a ton of it. So who, who loves football? What are your motivators? Are, do you want to play football? Is it your sanctuary? Um, you can disagree with that philosophy if you want and say that's kind of cruel and heartless and you shouldn't penalize guys who decided to sit out. 
but we didn't draft one guy who sat out uh, 2020 in this draft. Uh, not a single one. And in fact, we banked on guys who played through it and, and their value dropped because they played through it. So kind of says something, I think, about uh, DaCosta and the Ravens philosophy. I think you bring up a great point there. Um, we were actually talking about that going into the um, the draft in, in the preview episode of how this year's draft was, was kind of different and you could see players uh, slip through the cracks um, who maybe would be drafted higher in, in previous years because it was just such an unprecedented time that and it hit the college uh, football harder than it hit the pros, obviously, with all the shortened seasons for different teams. Like you said, players sitting out, other players playing through adversity. Um, and yeah, it, I mean, Wade is definitely a guy I think who, who could have been drafted higher in, if it was a normal season and he could, could end up being one of those steals, potential steals that we talked about could happen for teams. And yeah, I actually didn't know um, what you, you mentioned there about some of the stuff he went through, but uh, that is exactly what the Ravens love drafting is guys who are, who are mentally tough guys who can, uh, come through adversary, ad- adversity and uh, maybe have a couple years where it takes them to, to acclimate to to the bigger role that the Ravens have for them. But uh, yeah, I think there's a lot of intrigue there with, with a guy like Sean Wade. I mean, Peter, he was going to be a top 15 pick, probably definitely a first round pick. If he would have just said, I'm good, COVID, no problem. Hey, this COVID stuff's rough. I'm sitting out. See you guys at the 2021 draft. I'll be there on the first day. I might even get invited to the green room. But uh, he's one of those guys that couldn't stay away from football. I think his injury was a toe or something in his foot. Uh, if not mm-hmm. a toe, it was a lower, lower injury. And that man played through it, bro. Like, I give him a lot of credit. He could have just played after two games, said, look, I'm hurt. I'm out of here. He stuck it out for his team. I had the team goal in mind. And. You know, like I said, that's something that the Ravens uh, are definitely into character, uh, as they rightfully sh- rightfully should. And I could see Sean Wade going either way. I see high upside, but high bust side with him, um, just because it's hard to get what I saw last year out of my head. Um, where his change of direction didn't look good, and uh, his tackling looked sloppy. He was getting pushed around a lot, and um, you know, I I could definitely see a toe injury uh, affecting that. But I want to see it. You know what I mean? I want to see him start dominating. And uh, I think this preseason games are going to be key for him. Totally agree. Those uh, toe, like lower ankle, like area injuries are the classic ones that you can kind of play through, but you're not the same. Um, yeah. And those are the ones. Peter Bowler's like, career. Yeah. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm just even thinking about myself here. Like, I'm not an athlete, <laughs> but like I, I turned my ankle back in May and I'm still like not 100% on it. It's ridiculous. <laughs> it just like lingers, right? right? And uh, <laughs> you're like, come on, it's been months. You think it'd be okay. And it, it feels okay most of the time, but every once in a while, and I imagine you're playing at that high of a level and you need to make that play, you know, your tackling goes out. I remember, um, I think it was, uh, I forget which show it was on. I'm, I'm sorry. Um, uh, maybe it was two guys watching film, but uh, somebody was talking about like at the end of this season, you're fatiguing. And that's why like the tackling gets worse because if you're not in shape enough, you're not um, able to do the things that you thought you could do earlier. And uh, you start relying on just like running into people rather than, you know, practical, like correct form. And uh, I think injury kind of plays the same way. Or if you're injured, you can't stay in the best shape, right? You're like losing some of that, those reps, you're not able to like practice as much and, and things like that. So um, I think all that plays a part and uh, Sean Wade could definitely bounce back. Uh, I think to wrap up this conversation, we got to talk about uh, QB2. 
the assumption is this year the Ravens are not going to be holding, particularly like we said, there's so many players on this team that we want to keep. They're not going to be holding three uh, quarterbacks. Uh, so it's between Trace McSorley and uh, Huntley. And uh, I think going into the preseason, a lot of people were leaning on Huntley just based off of the game film that we saw. But I know, uh, Jason, you have some real big thoughts on this because those games, when they get away from you, you don't think should be valued as high. Well, I, you know, Alec, I, I love you and everything, but uh, I actually, maybe I'm in the minority here, but I think we're going to keep three quarterbacks because, oh, yeah. I mean, we, we only have two right now for something that has nothing to do with injuries. So um, I think that that might play a big role. I think the Ravens have to keep their ear to the grindstone. Um, somebody might like Huntley. I think somebody would like McSorley for sure. Yeah. Um, so it's something that, you know, if you could sneak one by to the practice squad, sure. But, you know, um, I kind of, uh, I kind of, I kind of like the idea of keeping three, but what was your, what was your specific question now? Like, I apologize there. Well, I think you're right. Uh, these are not players you're going to sneak. Uh, I think they have interest across the league. So if you do cut one, do not expect them to come back, which is, uh, I think a game that the Ravens love to play and they usually get away with it. Um, of cutting people they like because they think they'll be able to find them on the practice squad. I don't think they'll get away with, it, with these players. So I think when you're looking at the competition, I guess the question is, based off of your uh, remark of you think you, we keep three, what are we looking for to either see a winner, um, not just like, you know, plays, but um, maybe the kinds of uh, of packages we run with these players, the confidence we do to maintain the offense continuity, or um, just how do you expect us to watch these players and compete for either a roster spot or to both solidify. They got to both be here. Yeah. I think it's the total game. I think um, Huntley has an advantage in mobility, but trace is not a statue. And uh, if you saw at the stadium practice, there were a couple of old school read options and trace didn't hesitate, man. Like, uh, you know, you think about his injury last year. I was curious as to how long it would take him to come back, but here he is at the first open practice and He's running a read option, so that's a good sign. And then when I look at where Trace has the advantage, it to me it's the timing of his throws and his accuracy. People, I thought it was funny that the touchdown pass to Hollywood last year, a lot of people were ragging on Trace for it being behind. But if you go back and look at that play, and we don't have the film to do it now, um, Trace put it exactly where it, was, where it had to be. There was a safety bearing down on him, and Trace is like one of them pitchers that knows he doesn't have a 99-mile-an-hour fastball. Um, laid it right over the linebacker or whoever else it was. Maybe it was another corner in front of the safety. Gave Hollywood plenty of time to not only catch it, but turn around and adjust and take that play to the house. So I love, and then think about the Browns game, um, the toss to Willie Sneed, uh, another toss to Andrews, I believe, where it the ball came out clean and on time. Like what his arm is not beautiful, but his quarterbacking IQ and the timing uh, I, I, I believe in Huntley. I believe in McSorley for that uh, in both of those qualities. Uh, Huntley, I don't have as good of a read on as a pure thrower, but man, like sometimes some of his deep balls look really good to me. And um, this is going to be very interesting to me in preseason because I don't think that fans have a, you know, or evaluators have a really good idea of what either one of them can do. Like they, we, you know, our, our information is limited. I would love to sit up here and say, oh, I like this one uh, better because of X, Y, and Z. We barely have X, you know what I mean? Like there ain't a Y and Z. <laughs> so um, it's, it's, it's like, like, what do you look for? I want to say everything, you know, I want to, I'm hoping that they both get equal run with the first team. 
You know, I want to yeah. see both of them get an equal chance here. And the way they were rotating them at the practice Saturday and from the practice reports, I think they both are getting run with the first team. Yeah, in a way, it works out nice that uh, it doesn't seem like Lamar will be playing. I mean, maybe I guess maybe he'll play the first game. I don't know. It's hard to say uh, if he'll play the first game. But if not, that that's a great opportunity to maybe even swap those two quarterbacks back and forth each drive. Uh, you know, you hate to do that for a real game, right? Because... You don't want to keep that continuity, that uh, that momentum and rhythm. But in the preseason, you know, you can probably just get away with that. Um, so curious to see how they play it. Uh, curious to see how they perform. Uh, you know, we could be three games later and have a clear uh, number two. Or uh, it could still be kind of a toss-up. They may both play pretty well. So, Jason, really appreciate your time on the show. Uh, we learned a lot today, I think. Um, and we'll definitely love to have you again. Let's... Uh, have everyone be reminded where they can find your work. Sure. Thank you. I, I just want to first say thanks and um, I'm willing to support anybody. I really enjoy your guys' professionalism and the way you talk about football. Uh, football to me is family. Um, it always has been. It doesn't matter, you know, rich or poor, what color you are, what religion, like all that goes out the window. I learned that at a very early age playing football, that these guys cared about me more than people that were supposed to care about me did. So um, that extends uh, from the fans to your ex-teammates. They'll always be your ex-teammates. And, uh, you know, we could probably argue about a lot of different things, but uh, in football, it's good natured and we all care. We all have the same outlook. We want the Ravens to win. So football is family. I wanted to say that first. As far as my work, find me, huddle it up films. It's not huddle up. It's huddle it up. Uh, Huddle up stuff is taking. So I'm a huddle it up guy. So Huddle It Up Films, Twitter, YouTube, would love to have you be part of the family. Please like videos, subscribe, comment, all that good stuff that YouTubers are supposed to say that I always forget. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, man, I would love to come back. And uh, and anytime you want to talk about players, I'm an open book. I, have, I mean, this show could have went another two hours. I would have been happy. So it's all good, man. <laughs> all right. Uh- Maybe we'll have to take you up on that. Uh, this has been a lot of fun. <laughs> and you can uh, follow us, Ravens underscore recap on Twitter. Find us, ravensrecap.com. And you can also email us feedback at ravensrecap.com. We'll be back talking about uh, the first preseason game, unless something crazy happens. Uh, that's probably the next show. And uh, when we're back, hopefully we'll have a better insight of all these uh, competition battles we were talking about. But thanks again for listening. And uh, don't forget to tell a friend. Football's back. <laughs> <laughs>